Alan, one of the great things of my life is that I am a frequent flyer. You love the miles. Gotta get those miles. I know my way in and out of Logan Airport. Let's just say that. I know where the good potbellies is. All right? And um, I was flying last week, and it was a late flight, and this really nice-looking, like, fresh-from-a-catalog-shoot, very elderly couple came in to the little area. Mm, what catalogs are you browsing? I'm talking like a Land's End where they have the one okay. page with like like your old white couple. You really need a lot of cable knit sweaters in your life. No, so they come in, and there's a like a seat. There's a seat on either side of me, and um, and a seat across from me. And the older woman sits next to me, and the older man sits across from me. And I say, "Oh, I'm, I'm sorry." Um, you know, I have my headphones on and everything. I'm sitting there. I'm typing and. Um, and I notice and I take everything off and I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. Do you want to? And I asked the man, do you want to sit here next to your wife? And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I will just sit here and I'll get the best view of my lovely bride. And like everyone around me, you could hear their hearts melting because uh. it's just like the sweet old man. And I just say, are you sure? <laughs> And the entire people around us all start laughing at me. <laughs> and I am completely humiliated. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you make a good point. <laughs> Is he sure? I don't know. It's been a lot of years. Are you really sure you couldn't take a break, buddy? Probably gotten a pretty good eyeful by now. <laughs> it's been a good 60 years at least. It's time. Time. For a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright, it's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello, and welcome back to the show that usually ends. It's another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am joined by my co-host, my co-pilot, my co-conspirator, my Rob. Thank you, and I am, as always, joined by my partner in crime, Alan. You didn't introduce yourself. Oh, do I? Do I, do I have to tell people <laughs> mm. whether or not you like it? Your name is on this thing. Okay. How are you doing, Rob? I'm good, Alan. I'm ready for some uh, some adventure, some excitement, something uh, really old and goofy. Well, one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> because tonight we have. A little story by H.G. Wells, the Never heard famous H.G. Wells. Mm, nope, doesn't ring a bell. Nope, author of The Time Machine, mm. War of the Worlds. Hot Tub Time Machine? Yes, Hot Tub Time oh. Machine. All right, I'm familiar with he, this one. Uh, he was so happy to get John Cusack on board with that project. <laughs> it was worth it, too. H.G. Wells, The Man Who Could Work Miracles, from 1898. This version reprinted from Amazing Stories, July 1926. And it is presented to you without 
Interruption by commercials. Maybe one. Well, I don't think it's a commercial if we don't get paid. We don't get those, uh, what are those new socks? We don't get it. We haven't got them in yet. Come on. Nope. We sure have not. They have bamboo in them. They can sponsor us. <laughs> so grab a drink and curl up in your favorite chair while we read you this week's tale. Chapter One, A Pantoum in Prose. Ho, ho, ho. You poetry majors just got a major reveal of how this story is going to go. The rest of you, well, just be that happy that you have jobs and disposable income and people who love you. <laughs> Come on. Some poets have a second job. <laughs> Technically, poetry is all of their second job. Let's be real. Subheaded. The bar of the Long Dragon. I love that place. You can get two-for-one Tiamat shooters on Thursday nights. Mm. Tiamat, huh? Yeah. Okay. He's got three heads. Does he? The shooter has... Doesn't he? He's red. Three heads. Mm. It is doubtful whether the gift was innate. For my own part, I think it came to him suddenly. Indeed. Until he was 30, he was a skeptic and did not believe in miraculous powers. Then he saw beyond belief, fact or fiction, on TV and knew that miracles were true. That Commander Riker could make anyone a believer. I mean, he goes right over the chair, right over it. He didn't even notice. It's, it's like a gift. And here, since it is the most convenient place, I must mention that he was a little man and had eyes of a hot brown very erect red hair, a mustache with ends that he twisted up, and freckles. I must also mention that he had horrible, horrible gingivitis. His name was George McWhirter Fotheringay. Or maybe it was George McMadeup Dumb Namington. Something like that. No. <laughs> you don't know the Dumb Namingtons? The dumb namingtons do not reside in the same circles as I do. Oh, oh, yes, of course not. Of course not. Not the sort of name by any means to lead to any expectation of miracles. And he was a clerk at Gumshots. Ah, yes. Gumshots LLC. They negotiated the union agreement between Gringotts and the IBGGW. Mm. That's the uh, International Brotherhood of Goblins and Garment Workers. Oh, Garment garment workers <laughs> i don't know how they got together but it works somebody's got jessica jones on the mind huh <laughs> he was greatly addicted to assertive argument and thus spent 80 percent of his day on twitter well he's got to tell people he's right i mean they <laughs> got to find out how else are they gonna know it was while he was asserting the impossibility of miracles that he had his first intimation of his extraordinary powers this particular argument was being held in the bar of the Long Dragon, and Toddy Beamish was conducting the opposition by a monotonous but effective, so you say, that drove Mr. Fotheringay to the very limit of his patience. Man-on-man splaining, the invisible crime. <laughs> right. There were present, besides these two, a very dusty cyclist, Landlord Cox, and Miss Maybridge, the perfectly respectable and rather portly barmaid of the dragon. You know, he could have just stopped at perfectly respectable. 
Just saying. No. Thanks, Wells. It's not a, there's no swimsuit competition. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't need to be a part of the narrative. Just bring me the ketchup when I ask. Right? <laughs> Miss Maybridge was standing with her back to Mr. Father and Gay, washing glasses. The others were watching him more or less amused by the present ineffectiveness of the assertive method. Goaded by the Taurus Vedras tactics of Mr. Beamish, Mr. Fotheringay determined to make an unusual rhetorical effort. Alan, I don't know. Are you are you familiar with the Taurus Vedras tactic? Uh, yes. Um, I I believe the winds of winter will have a very extensive set of chapters on the Taurus Vedras. <laughs> it's true. It all. Uh, just saying, watch out for the Citadel people. Watch out for the Citadel. Looky here, Mr. Beamish, said Mr. Fotheringay. Let us clearly understand what a miracle is. It's a whip. Now listen to me. I tell you a sandwich just isn't a sandwich without miracle whip. It's a whip. Is it or is it just spoiled mayonnaise? <laughs> the eternal debate. <laughs> it's something contrarywise to the course of nature, done by the power of will, something what couldn't happen unless specially willed. You know, like when the U.S. Olympic hockey team beats the Russian team to win the bronze medal. Yeah, it was just the bronze, so a minor miracle, still a pretty great, right? Do you believe in third place? <laughs> so you say, said Mr. Beamish, repulsing him. Ah, Mr. Beamish, joining the large crowd of every woman who had ever met Mr. Fotheringay. Discussing miracles, the inverted lamp. Ugh. I stopped going to the inverted lamp once they added the hookah room and all the hipsters moved in. <laughs> well. Rob, if you had to name your favorite variety of flavored tobacco, what would it be? Oh, um, I would go for either the spearmint or okay. the yellow skittle. The yellow skittle? <laughs> yeah, okay. definitely the best. Okay. Mr. Fotheringay appealed to the cyclist, who had hitherto been a silent auditor, and received his assent, given with a hesitating cough and a glance at Mr. Beamish. He was actually trying to subtly tell him, Your mustache looks stupid. <laughs> Come on, man. Seriously? <laughs> seriously. <laughs> and when I say seriously, I mean, do you think somebody's going to take you seriously? <laughs> the landlord would express no opinion. And Mr. Fotheringay, returning to Mr. Beamish, received the unexpected concession of a qualified assent to his definition of a miracle. Ugh, this guy seems like he'd be a blast at parties. Well, actually, uh, Frankenstein refers to the doctor and not the monster. I, I checked with all the Draculas in my neighborhood and they agreed. Yeah, some of his best friends are Draculas. <laughs> For instance, said Mr. Fotheringay, greatly encouraged, here would be a miracle. That lamp in the natural course of nature couldn't burn like that upsy-down, could it, Beamish? Uh-oh, he's trying to goad you into game of upsy-downies, Beamish. This is just going to lead to a mooning. Be careful. Is that what happens in upsy-down? Yeah, it's how it always ends up. Do you play that on, like, a plinth? <laughs> no, it's, it's traditionally a harpsichord, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> Intriguing. You say it couldn't, said Beamish. And you, said Father Gay, you don't mean to say, eh? 
No, I meant to say, hey, and hit a jukebox with my elbow to start the music. I meant to say, hey, uh, hey, uh, oh, oh. Hey, oh, hey, oh. No, said Beamish reluctantly. No, it couldn't. Very well, said Mr. Fotheringay. Then here comes someone, as might be me, along here, and stands as it might be here, and says to that lamp, as I might do, collecting all my will, turn upsy-down without breaking, and go on burning steady, and... Hello? What's all this, then? The lamp! It's gone all upsy-downsies! Someone tell the vicar! That's for our... make our British audience feel at home. I don't... <laughs> I can't wait for them to tell us about <laughs> how we like cheeseburgers and how fat we are. <laughs> I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Was, well, I mean, they know us pretty good. <laughs> it was enough to make anyone say, Hello! The impossible, the incredible was visible to them all. A good John Cryer sitcom? Well, there was that... Um... Nope. No, but I mean... Nope. If you, The lamp hung inverted in the air, burning quietly with its flame pointing down. It was as solid, as indisputable as ever a lamp was. The prosaic common lamp of the Long Dragon Bar. I feel like this is uh, one step from becoming a musical, and Act One would finish with the song The Prosaic Common Lamp of the Long Dragon. Yeah, that was a Procol Harum track, I think. <laughs> Oh, that's where you trip the light, Fandango. Mr. Fotheringay stood with an extended forefinger and the knitted brows of one anticipating a catastrophic smash. Taint right. <laughs> now that's a smash if I've ever heard one. <laughs> the cyclist, who was sitting next to the lamp, ducked and jumped across the bar. A l -l 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 lamp <laughs> Okay. Instead of a ghost. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're going for there. <laughs> Everybody jumped, more or less. Miss Maybridge turned and screamed. For nearly three seconds, the lamp remained still. Like a lamp. No, no, you don't understand. <laughs> this lamp has had five paragraphs of explaining something that I don't know what happened to this lamp. <laughs> it's incredibly unusual somehow. It's upsy-downsies. Yeah, all upsy-downsies, sure. A faint cry of mental distress came from Mr. Fotheringay. I can't keep it up, he said, any longer. Yay! Oh, how I do love Fotheringay's famous catchphrase. <laughs> I can't keep it up any longer. <laughs> I wonder if Miss Maybridge will say, kiss my dish rag. That's that's the kind of establishment it is. Exactly. Sort of an Al's diner, if you think about it. Yeah. He staggered back, and the inverted lamp suddenly flared, fell against the corner of the bar, bounced aside, smashed upon the floor, and went out. Went out to a nice dinner and show on the West End with his mistress, a knockoff Tiffany Chandelier. Yeah, okay. Say it's yeah. just a little cheap, but, you know, still hey, hey, a good hey, time. Hey, hey, hey. The lights work, if you know what I mean. It was lucky it had a metal receiver, or the whole place would have been in a blaze. <laughs> Sorry. Floating lamps. Sounds like they were the ones who were blazed, man. 
<laughs> Mr. Cox was the first to speak, and his remark, shorn of needless excrescences, was to the effect that Fotheringay was a fool. So, uh, given the time and providence of this story, I think we can narrow down the needless excrescences to bleed and fool, blip mm -hmm. and fool, okay, or the less likely but still possible ass-faced fucking fool. Mm, could be, could be. <laughs> I think that that sounds like the the sort of jargon they'd use at the time. Yeah, I think so. Fathering Gay was beyond disputing even so fundamental a proposition as that. He was astonished beyond measure at the thing that had occurred. See, it was beyond belief. Alan, now, was it fact or fiction? It was just a lamp falling over. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but it was upside down, see, first. No, it, upside down means it's fallen over. <laughs> the subsequent conversation threw absolutely no light on the matter so far as Fothering Gay was concerned. The general opinion not only followed Mr. Cox very closely, but very vehemently. Everyone accused Fothering Gay of a silly trick and presented him to himself as a foolish destroyer of comfort and security. Oh, how dare he destroy the comfort and security of a seedy, turn-of-the-century English pub, where somebody's probably doing opium next to the corpse of a dead prostitute. Hey, hey, that was a good seven years before the turn of the century. <laughs> Fair enough. His mind was in a tornado of perplexity. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Boy, you really want to seek shelter as soon as possible when that happens. A tornado of perplexity. I think that was a Pink Floyd album. He, he was himself inclined to agree with them, and he made a remarkably ineffectual opposition to the proposal of his departure. I believe the direct quote was, I have to make we, and he ran right out. Don't dilly-dally Gotta go. when you've got to make we. That's what, that's what Mother always said. He went home. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. He went home, flushed, and heated. <laughs> that's not that's not the Oh, one more time. He Where went did... home, flushed and heated. Coat collar crumpled, eyes smarting and ears red. He watched each of the ten street lamps nervously as he passed it. I've always trusted you, street lamps. Don't turn on me like some kind of cheap track lighting. I don't like all the bulb shaming that's going on in this episode, Rob. <laughs> it was only when he found himself alone in his little bedroom in Church Row that he was able to grapple seriously with his memories of the occurrence and ask, What on earth happened? And to follow up quickly with, Just how pissed did I get tonight? If you're asking the lamp, I think you got your answer. Chapter 2. The Power of the Human Will. Also the title of Lenny Reifenstahl's lesser-known film about the dad from ALF. He had removed his coat and boots and was sitting on the bed with his hands in his pockets, repeating the text of his defense for the 17th time. Dude, this isn't the OJ trial. You somehow knocked over a lamp in a shitty bar... You don't need F. Lee Bailey on the case here. Uh, uh, if it doesn't click, you must wet the wick. <laughs> All right, moving on. I didn't want the confounded thing to upset. 
when it occurred to him that at the precise moment he had said the commanding words he had inadvertently willed the thing he said, and that when he had seen the lamp in the air, he had felt that it depended on him to maintain it there, without being clear how this was to be done. That lamp depended on me, and I let it down. Oh. Literally, he, he let it down. Okay, well... It's just, it's just a lamp. I mean, I, I don't want to keep harping on that point, but uh, no children died in, in this whole scenario, okay? I think we can, we can relax a little. He had not a particularly complex mind, <laughs> no doubt. Or he might have stuck for a time at that inadvertently willed, embracing as it does the abstrusest problems of voluntary action. But as it was, the idea came to him with a quite acceptable haziness. Oh, I, I guess that's it then. I'm the devil's plaything. Better start practicing my fire starting. You want to get good at it. If there's, <laughs> if there's anything the trailer for that movie <laughs> told me. <laughs> so you, you don't want to screw that up. No, no. Uh, Quite acceptable haziness is uh, the theme of my ayahuasca vacation. <laughs> and, and then that's the part one, quite acceptable haziness. Part two, crapping your pants out. Uh, well, that was when we did the tour of the Mayan temple. Uh, <laughs> and from that, following, as I must admit, no clear logical path, he came to the test of experiment. Dun, dun, dun. No phones during the test of experiment. <laughs> he pointed resolutely to his candle and collected his mind, though he felt he did a foolish thing. Particularly foolish, as he and the candle hadn't spoken together in months, and it just couldn't be trusted. Be raised up, he said, but in a second that feeling had vanished. The candle was raised, hung in the air one giddy moment, and as Mr. Fotheringay gasped, fell with a smash on his toilet table, leaving him in the darkness save for the expiring glow of its wick. Alone, with only the shame of using a table as a toilet for company. <laughs> for a time, Mr. Fotheringay sat in the darkness, perfectly still. It did happen after all, he said, and how am I to explain that I didn't know? Do the Germans have a word for making incendiary lights turn upside down? I'm, I'm really asking here. Oh, uh, yeah. Schadenleiten, I believe that's what it's called. <laughs> he sighed heavily and began feeling in his pockets for a match. He could find none, and he rose and groped about the toilet table. Oh, if you have a combination toilet-slash-table, please do not grope around it in the dark. <laughs> I wish I had a match, he said. He resorted to his coat, and there was none there. And then it dawned upon him that miracles were possible even with matches. This guy really has to start thinking outside of the burning things box. Gold, man! Make gold! Well, burning gold. I don't care. Just gold. This gold is on fire. fire. He extended a hand and scowled at it in the dark. Let there be a match in that hand, he said. 
He felt some light object fall across his palm, and his fingers closed upon a toothpick. Nope. Uh, uh. It's a match. After several ineffectual attempts to light this, he discovered it was a safety match. Jesus. This guy can't even get a simple miracle right. What's the term for something beneath a demigod? Doesn't it go primordial deities, titans, gods, demigods, and doofuses? So he's a doofus. He's a demi-doofus? Like his his dad was a a doofus, uh, but his mother was a swan? Yeah, so he's a demi-doofus. He threw it down, and then it occurred to him that he might have willed it lit. No shit. (laughs) He did, and perceived it burning in the midst of the toilet table mat. Dimly lighting a scene, too sad and gross to describe here. He caught it up hastily and it went out. His perception of possibilities enlarged, and he felt for and replaced the candle in its candlestick. Here, you be lit, said Mr. Fotheringay, and forthwith the candle was flaring, and he saw a little black hole in the toilet cover, with a wisp of smoke rising from it. Black old toilet cover, won't you come and wash away the stains? For a time he stared from this to the little flame and back, and then looked up and met his own gaze in the looking glass. By this time he communed with himself in silence for a time. How about miracles now, said Mr. Fetheringay at last, addressing his reflection. Ah, who's your messiah now? Mr. Fotheringay practiced miracles upon himself with great success. Ooh, I do not like the sound of this. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) I agree. That's something you want to keep to yourself, probably. Don't practice practice on other people, Mr. Fotheringay, please. Well, no, don't do that either. Actually, you're right. Don't practice at all. Okay. The subsequent meditations of Mr. Fotheringay were of a severe but confused description. They ranged from, huh, to what, to what's all this then? I like a severe but confused description. <laughs> Just, um, the terrifying, horrific hell on earth of Junior Mints. <laughs> Severe, but confused. Severe, but confused. So far, he could see it was a case of pure willing with him. The nature of his experiences so far disinclined him for any further experiments, at least until he had reconsidered them. But he lifted a sheet of paper. Wow, really uh, stretching the fabric of reality there, Georgie boy. Hold on, this is just the first part. Then I make an origami frog, and you're going to think it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Tell me when you get to, like, wicker furniture, all right? And turned a glass of water pink and then green. Wait a minute. When did you get that power? <laughs> He's trying them all out. Experiment. And then he created a snail, which he miraculously <laughs> annihilated and got himself a miraculous new toothbrush. Ooh, one with a compass in the stock and a thing that tells time? What is that, like a Victorinox uh, toothbrush? <laughs> it's a Red Rider BB toothbrush. Uh, somewhere in the small hours, he had reached the fact that his willpower must be of a particularly rare and pungent quality. Much like his Dock Siders. <laughs> 
a fact of which he had indeed had inklings before, but no certain assurance. Yes, yes, why didn't those people in the bar tell me how special I knew I was? <laughs> <laughs> the scared perplexity of his discovery was now qualified by pride in this evidence of singularity and by vague intimations of advantage. Uh, vague intimations, you think? A power over space and time might give you a slight edge in life? I swear, deity privilege, man. Come on, dude. He's got to check it. He's just a demi-doofus. He doesn't <laughs> really. I don't think they let him in that exclusive club. That's true. He became aware that the church clock was striking one, and as it did not occur to him that his daily duties at gumshots might be miraculously dispensed with, he resumed undressing. Wait, wait, when did this story start? Has he been in his boxers for the last page? <laughs> Are you still getting off his uh, sock garters? <laughs> it takes a while. They like to linger on that in 1898. Yeah, it wasn't well known, but it took several hours for a man to undress in the Victorian day. In order to get to bed without further delay. As he struggled to get his shirt over his head, he was struck with a brilliant idea. Ooh, take over the earth, make all bow before him in abject fear and worship? Uh, no, I was thinking he could just lift the sleeve of his left arm and put his arm in under the shirt. And then you take your left arm and pull the right one over. And then that way it doesn't, it doesn't get stuck on your head. But, I mean, this guy has got a lot of good ideas. <laughs> Let me be in bed, he said, and found himself so. I guess that's pretty good, too. Undressed, he stipulated. And finding the sheets cold, added hastily, And in my nightshirt, nope. In a nice, soft, woolen nightshirt. And twins? Ah, he said with immense enjoyment. <laughs> and now, let me be comfortably asleep. He awoke at his usual hour. Ugh, let me just use my godlike power and hit snooze on the universe for nine minutes. Ugh. Why don't you just make it, like, two in the morning again? Too much work. And was pensive all through breakfast time, wondering whether his overnight experience might not be a particularly vivid dream. Or, you know, that like he fell asleep on his toilet table. <laughs> After us. At length, his mind turned again to cautious experiments. I wish, I wish, I, I wish I was a fish. Mm. Incredible Mr. Limpet. The incredible Mr. Limpet, Thank yes. You. Thank you. For instance, he had three eggs for breakfast. Two his landlady had supplied, good but shoppy. And one was a delicious fresh goose egg, laid, cooked, and served by his extraordinary Will. Will Fredrickson, his roommate, cook, and generally nice guy. Oh, hey, I saw you had two eggs, but I thought maybe he'd like a third one. I just got this goose laying around. Just got to do something. <laughs> He's a good guy. He hurried off to gumshots in a state of profound but carefully concealed excitement and only remembered the shell of the third egg when his landlady spoke of it that night. Wait, wait, did he actually lay the egg and then leave the shell on the floor? I don't get how the shell like it's it's not an alibi you know <laughs> didn't he just will the egg cooked in front of him 
No, no, he willed it late. So <laughs> he willed it. Late. I guess he was into that process <laughs> all day. He could do no work because of this astonishing new self knowledge, but this caused him no inconvenience because he made up for it miraculously in his last ten minutes. Make fifty cases of rubber dog poop. There, work done. Is that? Oh, that's that's how I know the name Gumshots. <laughs> yeah, they have that cattle. They're always on the back of the comic books. You know? Yeah, yeah, they got that. Uh, alien thing that's got the eye and the thing on his head oh fuck me bebo <laughs> who is bebo <laughs> bebo is a found product of the highest order while we can create amazing products nothing beats finding something that we can't explain yet want desperately ourselves when we found Bebo in a factory showroom, we had no idea what it was. It was just a strange-looking clock that shouted, Bebo, over and over again, until you tapped the stem on its head. That is Bebo. <laughs> oh my god, I just saw a picture of Bebo. <laughs> oh, now, where were we? Chapter 3 more miracles astonishing the natives. Oh, I saw their set at South By opening up for And You Shall Know Us by the Trail of Our Dead. They were terrible. Are they astonishing the natives or are they more miracles astonishing the natives? Well, the original band was astonishing the natives and then half of them <laughs> left after an argument. So this is now more miracles <laughs> astonishing the natives. It's it. They give a good long show, but it it's it's terrible. As the day wore on, his state of mind passed from wonder to elation, albeit the circumstances of his dismissal from the Long Dragon were still disagreeable to recall, and a garbled account of the matter that had reached his colleagues led to some bandinage. Again, you are omnipotent. Office gossip should be below you at this point. Oh, except for Linda in HR. She always knows the juiciest stuff. It was evident he must be very careful about how he lifted frangible articles. Or tangible farticles. <laughs> <clears throat> but in other ways, his gift promised more and more as he turned it over in his mind. He intended, among other things, to increase his personal property by unostentatious acts of creation. I'll start small and only move half the Taj Mahal into my garden this weekend. He called into existence a pair of very splendid diamond studs and hastily annihilated them again as young Gumshot came across the counting house to his desk. He was afraid young Gumshot might wonder how he had come by them. And also tell the Ministry of Magic. They are quite strict about such things. <laughs> he saw quite clearly the gift required caution and watchfulness in its exercise, but so far as he could judge the difficulties attending its mastery would be no greater than those he had already faced in the study of cycling. You know, it's, it's like the old saying, Alan. Learning the powers of God is just like riding a bike through the heart of a collapsing sun while high on PCP. You think it's going left or going right or, or pedaling straight 
I mean, where was where was the the real intensive graduate degree he got in cycling? <laughs> Well, this this was the penny farthing days. I think just getting up on it was pretty much mastery. Was it mounting the penny farthing? Yeah, mm. <laughs> that's uh, that's book that's page forty three of the Kama Sutra, isn't it? <laughs> <clears throat> it was an analogy, perhaps, quite as much as the feeling that he would be unwelcome in the Long Dragon that drove him out after supper into the lane beyond the gasworks to rehearse a few miracles in private. As opposed to the privacy of some deserted island he could just teleport to, or the champagne room at Mons Venus, you know, whatever was quieter that night. No, I mean, you could get to the champagne room, but then you got to get bottle service. It's get, not worth it. Yeah, that's true. True. There was possibly a certain want of originality in his attempts, for apart from his willpower, Mr. Fotheringay was not a very exceptional man. Oh, really? He's been a veritable Einstein in this story so far. You know, Bob Einstein, the guy who played Super Dave Osborne. His name isn't Super Osborne. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's Bob Super Dave Osborne, Einstein. Where does the Dave come in? <laughs> I don't know. Dave's not here, man. Uh, the miracle of Moses' rod came to his mind. But the night was dark and unfavorable to the proper control of large miraculous snakes. For the night is dark and full of mongoose. Ricky Tiki Tappy. <laughs> I.e. the church. What? I.e. government. I.e. school. <laughs> when I got a little older, I learned I had to kill him myself. Then he recollected the story of Tannhauser that he had read on the back of the Philharmonic program. So he's going to become a willing captive of Venus, goddess of love? I'm listening. That seemed to him singularly attractive and harmless. He stuck with his walking stick, a very nice Puna Penang lawyer, into the turf that edged the footpath and commanded the dry wood to blossom. Uh, for those of you um, unfamiliar in the uh, realm of fine walking sticks, a... Uh, Penang Lawyer is made from a Malaysian palm wood, and it's also mentioned in The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And uh, little known fact, Doyle once lost one such walking stick to H.G. Wells in a game of Sabbath. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Don't try to put yourself up on a pedestal. <laughs> that is a pedestal I'm comfortable on. Oh, yeah, your Puna Penang pedestal? <laughs> Get down off your Puna Penang pedestal. That's that's where the phrase came from, Rob. Oh, don't make me sick my Penang lawyer on you, Alan. All right. The air was immediately full of the scent of roses, and by means of a match he saw for himself that this beautiful miracle was indeed accomplished. His satisfaction was ended by advancing footsteps. Afraid of a premature discovery of his powers, he addressed the blossoming stick hastily. Go back. What he meant was, change back. But of course, he was confused. The stick receded at a considerable velocity, and incontinently came a cry of anger, and a bad word from the approaching person. Who are you throwing brambles at, you fool? cried a voice. That got me on the shin. You know, Alan... That's Bush League omnipotence. Bush League. Mr. Fotheringay gets in trouble with the police and disposes of the officer 
as in the next chapter. Ooh, and here's the turn. Alan, I think we're getting into the shock territory here. <laughs> what? I would love that. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, old chap, said Mr. Fotheringay, and then, realizing the awkward nature of the explanation, caught nervously at his mustache. He saw Winch, one of the three immering constables, advancing. So uh, this has been bothering me, Alan, because I've been unable to find a definition for immering or, or a place called immering. So, uh, and, and all searches only show references to the story. So anyone who can tweet us with what this means gets to pick the genre of a story in an episode dedicated to him or her. And until then, I'm considering it's just a typo for shimmering, meaning the constable was glowing. Uh, you think he was newly pregnant? <laughs> oh, constable. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, well, Rob, sorry to burst your bubble, but Immering is, of course, the native homeland of Bebo. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by it? asked the constable. Hello, it's you, is it? The gent that broke the lamp at the Long Dragon. Jeez, it must be a slow day for the Immering constables. Shouldn't they be handling real crimes, like the first fatality from a car on a public road in the world in nearby Brighton? Wouldn't it be like a, I don't know, speedboat if you're going to go to Brighton? Uh, it's leading the, it, it's just a fat, it's a thing. You got another, you got a, you got a follow-up Brighton joke? No, <laughs> no, it's just, that actually happened that year. Really? It was the first fatality from a car on a public road and uh, happened to Brighton. Happened in Brighton? In 1898. Mm. I don't mean anything by it, said Mr. Fotheringay. Nothing at all. What you do it for then? Alan, if there's anything I've learned from decades of being an American Led Zeppelin fan, it's taught me that it's pronounced dire do it for then. <laughs> okay. Hey, I appreciate that completely <laughs> incorrect reference. Thank you. Oh, bother, said Mr. Fotheringay. Bother indeed, do you know that sticker? What'd you do it for, then? Kicks, man, but they just keep getting harder to find. Oh, Johnny Kid. <laughs> oh, you knew too well. <laughs> you and all the pirates. For the moment, Mr. Fotheringay could not think what he had done it for. His silence seemed to irritate Mr. Winch. You've been insulting the police, young man, this time. That's what you done. It was a drive-by, Bushing. Uh, look here, Mr. Winch, said Mr. Fotheringay, annoyed and confused. I'm sorry, very. The, the fact is, well, you could think of no way but the truth. It was an immigrant. He was here, he threw a bush at you, and then ran. I'm a white man in 1898 London, and you should totally buy this, right? I was working a miracle. He tried to speak in an offhand way, but try as he would, he couldn't. Chapter 4. More trouble about the policeman. Or, why did I split this into a different chapter? I do love it when chapter headings ask the question... <laughs> Or something. I do too. Working a... Eh, don't you talk rot. Working a miracle indeed. Miracle. Well, that's downright funny. 
Well, you's that chap that don't believe in miracles. Wow. Word really does travel quickly okay. around here. And, and you're the fellow with the weird toilet built in a table, <laughs> aren't you? That's... <laughs> yeah, so you trying to pawn that off in cash in the attic? Nobody wants to buy a toilet table. <laughs> no. Fact is, this is another of your silly conjuring tricks. That's what this is. Now I tell you. But Mr. Fotheringay never heard what Mr. Winch was going to tell him. He realized he had given himself away, flung his valuable secret to all the winds of heaven. A violent gust of irritation swept over him to action. He turned on the constable swiftly and fiercely. Here, he said, I've had enough of this, I have. I'll show you a silly conjuring trick, I will. Go to Hades. Go. Now. He was alone. And the constable was now in Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> Come on, it was only like four episodes ago when we were hitting on Orlando. I'm trying to, you know, trying to start some beef, Alan. That's how people get noticed nowadays. Mr. Fotheringay performed no more miracles that night, nor did he trouble to see what had become of his flowering stick. He returned to the town, scared and very quiet, and went to his bedroom. Lord, he said, it's a powerful gift, an extremely powerful gift. I did hardly mean as much as that, not really. I wonder what Hades is like. Oh, it's not so bad. I mean, the only restaurant is Checkers, but they do have a drive through He sat on the bed, taking off his boots. Struck by a happy thought, he transferred the constable to San Francisco. But they don't have Checkers there at all. Plus, he's never going to find an affordable apartment. And without any more interference, with normal caution, went soberly to bed. In the night, he dreamt of the anger of Winch. Oh, I'm sure Winch is writing an angry letter in San Francisco from Town Coffee Roasters. It's a little, little, little local reference for you uh, Friskins out there. Friskins. They love it when you call them that. The next day, Mr. Fotheringay heard two interesting items of news. News of the day? Dateline, June 1898. Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still six years old. Wow, it's really young to become a Generalissimo. <laughs> he was very advanced. Someone had planted a most beautiful climbing rose against the elder Gumshot's private house in the Lullaborough Road, and the river as far as Rollins Mill was to be dragged for Constable Winch. That's right. They're going to gussy it up in a feather boa and tenny shields in honor of... That place's favorite constable. Immering. Immering. Homeland of Bebo. <laughs> Never forget Homeland of Bebo. Mr. Fotheringay was abstracted and thoughtful all that day and performed no miracles except certain provisions for Winch and the miracle of completing his day's work with punctual perfection in spite of all the bee swarm of thoughts that hummed through his mind. In a nutshell, he gave Winch a nice studio apartment in Pack Heights and gave him a flower in his hair. And the extraordinary abstraction and meekness of his manner was remarked by several people and made a matter of jesting. For the most part, he was thinking of Winch. Oh, if only he had some kind of, I don't know, miraculous power to return him? Oh, oh, he does? 
Oh, he, what a dick. I, you know, he doesn't have the imagination to <laughs> hit the undo button. <laughs> but to, to... If they only had invented Control Z by the time this guy was alive. <laughs> On Sunday evening, he went to chapel. And oddly enough, Mr. Maydig, who took a certain interest in occult matters, preached about things that are not lawful. Such as touching a pelican, unless otherwise given express permission beforehand. It is also illegal to wear a suit of armor in Parliament, but that's more of a fashion faux pas. That's next week's sermon about things that are not gauche, but <laughs> also not quite kosher. Wearing white after Labor Day. Mr. Fotheringay was not a regular chapel-goer, but the system of assertive skepticism, to which I have already alluded, was now very much shaken. The tenor of the sermon threw an entirely new light on these novel gifts, and he suddenly decided to consult Mr. Maydig immediately after the service. So soon as that was determined, he found himself wondering why he had not done so before. Um, perhaps because his powers come from Satan? Duh? Mr. Maydig, a lean, excitable man, with quite remarkably long wrists and neck, was gratified at a request for That looked just fantastic with a few gold bangles on them. <laughs> Some nice long wrists. Was gratified at a request for a private conversation from a young man whose carelessness in religious manners was a subject for general remark in the town. Again, this does not take much. Someone once forgot to put their empty milk bottles outside their door for an extra day, and the town burned them down for being a witch. After a few necessary delays... Meaning the man of God had to water the daisies? Well, he doesn't want the daisies to die. I, I meant he was taking a whiz. Like a whiz Khalifa to, uh, <laughs> to prayer? Yes, exactly. He conducted him to the study of the manse, which was contiguous to the chapel, seated him comfortably and standing in front of a cheerful fire, his legs through a Rhodian arch of shadow on the opposite wall requested Mr. Fotheringay to state his business. Please state for the record. Are you now, or have you ever been a Catholic? Um, hmm, okay. Well, that's not just Catholics. Take us into your thought process. Well, I didn't want to get Ash listed. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> at first... Mr. Fotheringay was a little abashed, and found some difficulty in opening the matter. You will scarce believe me, Mr. Maydig, I am afraid, and so forth for some time. He tried to question at last and asked Mr. Maydig his opinion of miracles. Well, I'm not sure, but all I know is, all I need is a miracle, all I need is you. Mike at the McCatholics. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 5. Interviewing a Clergyman Okay, forget the other one. This is definitely a euphemism for taking a whiz. <laughs> All right. Mr. Maydig was still saying, well, in an extremely judicial tone, when Mr. Fotheringay interrupted again. You don't believe, I suppose, that some common sort of person, uh, like myself, for instance, as it might be sitting here now, might have some sort of twist inside him that made him able to do things by his will. 
Well, perhaps if it's the jungle twist, or even lady twist, but certainly not the peppermint twist. That will cause madness, my son. It's possible, said Mr. Maydig. Something of this sort, perhaps, is possible. If I might make free with something here, I, I think I might show you by a sort of experiment, said Mr. Fotheringay. We've never met before, have we? Uh, may I see your watch, or if you don't have one, a dove? Very natural. <laughs> now, take that tobacco jar on the table, for instance. Please. What I, w <laughs> what I want to know is whether what I'm going to do with it is a miracle or not. Just half a minute, Mr. Maydig, please. He knitted his brows, pointed to the tobacco jar, and said, Be a bowl of violets. The tobacco jar did as it was ordered. Like all good tobacco jars. I hear they were all in Switzerland during the war. <laughs> Mr. Maydig started violently at the charge and stood looking from the thaumaturgist to the bowl of flowers. The clergyman knew that this wasn't possible, as according to the fifth D&D &D edition, he'd have to have been a cleric to even use thaumaturgy. No. No, definitely not. Oh, yeah. This is what people come to this uh, podcast for. Accurate Dungeons and Dragons not information. You already didn't know how many heads Tiamat had. Tiamat had three heads. No, no way. He's got like five. Uh, five, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let you have your thaumaturgy. I'm telling that's, you. That's badly named. Yeah, but uh, yeah. He said nothing. Presently. He ventured to lean over the table and smell the violets. They were fresh-picked and very fine ones. Then he stared at Mr. Fotheringay again. How did you do that? he asked. Magic, magic, magic! <laughs> Mr. Fotheringay pulled his mustache. Just told it, and there you are. Is that a miracle, or is it a black art? What is it? And what do you think's the matter with me? That's what I want to ask. Well, I'm just a simple man of the cloth, but let's start with that mustache. Who are you fooling? <laughs> it's a most extraordinary occurrence. And this day last week, I knew no more that I could do things like that than you did. It came quite sudden. Like a bolt of lightning or Kardashian baby. Yeah, what she has, she has three? They're just popping or? out, they're all popping out all over. Okay. I can't keep up. It's something odd about my will, I suppose, and that's as far as I can see. Is that the only thing? Could you, could you do other things besides that? Lord, yes, said Mr. Fotheringay. Just anything. He thought and suddenly recalled a conjuring entertainment he had seen. Hold on, I've got to go get the Aztec tomb box from me mum's basement. Here, he pointed. Change into a bowl of fish. No, not that. Uh, change into a glass bowl full of water with goldfish swimming in it. That's better. You see, Mr. Maydig? It's astonishing. It's, it's, it's incredible. You're either a most extraordinary extraordinary but no 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 go ahead and say it made a dickhole 
Decole was <laughs> the word I was thinking of, but you know, of course, we don't like to say that, but uh, we think it. I could change it into anything, said Mr. Fotheringay. Just anything. Here, be a pigeon, will you? In another moment, a blue pigeon was fluttering around the room and making Mr. Maydig duck every time it came near him. No, he'll ruin my etchings. <laughs> Stop there, will you? said Mr. Fotheringay, and the pigeon hung motionless in the air. I could change it back to a bowl of flowers, he said, and after replacing the pigeon on the table, worked that miracle. I expect you will want your pipe in a bit, he said, and restored the tobacco jar. Mr. Maydig, very much interested. Especially after hearing about the whole and twins idea. Mr. Maydig had followed all these later changes in a sort of ejaculatory silence. In, I'm not, I'm going to skip any crude jokes here, but isn't that an oxymoron, like sitting with animated stillness? I think the only way it's not an oxymoron is problematic. <laughs> He stared at Mr. Fotheringay and in a very gingerly manner picked up the tobacco jar, examined it, replaced it on the table. Well, was the only expression of his feelings. Guess I'll have to get that exorcism manual out again. Well, now after that it's easy to explain what I came about, said Mr. Fotheringay, and proceeded to a lengthy and involved narrative of his strange experiences, beginning with the affair of the lamp and the long dragon and complicated by persistent allusions to Mr. Winch. As he went on, the transient pride of Mr. Maydig's consternation had passed away. He became the very ordinary Mr. Fotheringay of everyday intercourse again. So, a total tool. Great. Yes, I'm a tool who's very skeptical and uh, knocked out a lamp or something. <laughs> I mean, that's my whole personality. <laughs> Mr. Maydig listened intently. The tobacco jar in his hand and his bearing changed also with the course of his narrative. Presently, Mr. Fotheringay was dealing with the miracle of the third egg. The minister interrupted with a fluttering, extended hand. I get it. You, you do miracles. Now, where's the part where you leave Churchy a little something in his collection box? You know what I mean? <laughs> it is possible, he said. It is credible. It is amazing, of course, but it, it reconciles a number of amazing difficulties. The power to work miracles is a gift, a peculiar quality like genius or second sight. Hitherto, it has come very rarely into exceptional people. Like St. Francis or the guy from Counting Crows. Did you know he dated both Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston? But in this case, I, I have always wondered at the miracles of Muhammad, and at Yogi's miracles, and the miracles of Madame Bavatsky. Madame Bavatsky could commune with the dead, of course, but uh, you should have seen what the Yogi could have done with the picnic basket. Uh, okay, we, we're going for a Yogi joke. Okay, it's, all right. uh, Sometimes you gotta grab that low-hanging fruit, Alvin. <laughs> Low-hanging honey, Rob. <laughs> but of course, 
Yes, it, it is simply a gift. It carries out so beautifully the arguments of that great thinker, Mr. Maydig's voice saying, His Grace the Duke of Argyle. A fervent believer in miracles, and the first engineering chief of the Enterprise D. Argyle was the first. Uh, Chubby dude with the beard, yep. Yeah. Hey, I, I could have been an engineer on the Enterprise. <laughs> so he got fired for um, starting a letter campaign to try to get him to become a regular on the show. No kidding. Yeah, he, he did like three episodes as, you know, kind of having a line here or there, and he got fired for that. Here we plumb some profounder law, deeper than the ordinary laws of nature. Yes, yes, go on, go on. Okay, maybe this will be quick, Alan. I'm going to stay optimistic. Chapter 6. A long talk with the clergyman about miracles. And optimism shattered. Let's go uh, pour another drink here, Alan. <clears throat> Mr. Fotheringay proceeded to tell of his misadventure with Winch, and Mr. Maydig, no longer overawed or scared, began to jerk his limbs about and interject astonishment. Dude, you totally should have sent him to Burning Man. It would have been so twisted. <laughs> it's this what troubles me most, proceeded Mr. Fotheringay. It's this I'm most midgetly. So, um, <clears throat> interjection here. According to a half-English, half-Russian thread I found on a message board, uh, this appears to be a typo for mightily, or possibly a really delicious feeling for Przolski. But, yeah, that's a, uh, that word is only found in this story. And the internet was talking about it? One thread on a half-Russian, half-English message board. Mightily <laughs> in want of advice for. Of course, he's at San Francisco, wherever San Francisco may be. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He doesn't know where San Francisco is, but it's the first place that came to mind after he thought of hell? Oh, well, really, fuck you. Where's York then, Rob? <laughs> Oh, no, just point it out on a map for me, all right? <laughs> it's where next to Gloucestershire. Oh, oh, yes, of course. And now, if you had to indicate where the entire country of Wales was in the United Kingdom, uh, could you uh, hey, just... Uh, hey, Tom Jones is from Wales, so don't ask me if I know where Wales is, buddy, all right? I also know, I also have all of the alarms records, okay? I know which the 10 people from Wales who could potentially listen to this over the next 100 years would know exactly what that reference is to. I know Wales. How many Dylan Thomas poems <laughs> could you recite from memory, Rob? Uh, how many were in uh, Three Weddings and a Funeral? But of course, it's awkward for us both, as you'll see, Mr. Maydig. I don't see how he can understand what has happened. And I dare say he's scared and exasperated something tremendous and trying to get at me. I dare say he keeps on starting off to come here. I send him back by a miracle every few hours when I think of it. Jesus Christ. I now designate this man Bloki, god of dickishness. And of course, that's a thing he won't be able to understand, and it's, it's bound to annoy him. You think? 
And of course, if he takes a ticket every time, it will cost him a lot of money. This is literally the least of his concerns. Winch has become the devil's plaything. I've done the best I could for him, of course. It's, it's difficult for him to put himself in my place. I thought afterwards that his clothes might have got scorched, you know, if, if Hades is all it's supposed to be. <laughs> Before I shifted him. In that case, I suppose they'd have locked him up in San Francisco. Of course, I willed him a new suit of clothes directly, I thought of it. But you see, I'm already in a deuce of a tangle. Oh, it's a dilly of a pickle, all right. Mr. Maydig looks serious. I see you are in a tangle, yes. It's a difficult position. How are you to end it? I don't know. Um, top of my head, return him, erase his memory. No, no, no. I'm be just being crazy. That's just crazy. Uh, here, I've, got a, I've got a wild idea. How about uh, you imagine a movie called Men in Black, and then in your head you could watch that movie called Men in Black, and maybe the answers would just come to you. He became diffused and inconclusive. Like a lamp. <laughs> um, I guess, <laughs> yes, if a lamp, because of its lack of higher reasoning powers, could be said to be inconclusive. <laughs> it's really a kind of a philosophical argument at that point. <laughs> However, we'll leave Winch for a little and, and discuss the larger question. Ah, the gentle, caring nature of the English clergy. I, I don't think this is a case of the black art or anything of the sort. I, I don't think there's any taint of criminality about it at all, Mr. Fellerengay. None, whatever, unless you are suppressing material facts. Nope, uh, just kidnapping an officer of the law. I think I told you everything. Oh, oh, there was that bush I created. That that was neat. Uh, no, no, it's miracles, pure miracles, miracles, if I may say so. Of the very highest class. Yep. Straight from uh, fishes and loaves to making a candle float. Oh, that thing you did with the matchstick. Well, it's just... Uh, fucking Chris Angel, aren't you? <laughs> he began to pace the hearthrug and gesticulate while Mr. Fotheringay sat with his arm on the table and his head on his arm, looking worried. I don't see how I'm to manage about Winch, he said. I don't know. Maybe conjure up some boat tickets? This is not difficult, buddy. Yeah, just get him the QE2. Just, you know, give him a, I don't know, a portside cabin. That's a little extreme, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, on. interior he's... steerage is probably good enough, you yeah. know. He's omnipotent, but he's not made of money. You just sent him to Hades. He's not like you. Anything's a step up, right? Sure. A gift of working miracles. Uh, uh, apparently a very powerful gift, said Mr. Mading. We'll find a way about Winch. Never fear. Uh, my dear sir, you are a most important man. A man of the most astonishing possibilities. Uh, as evidence, for example. And in other ways, the things you may do. Yes, yes, I've thought of a thing or two, said Mr. Fotheringay. And that's the sad part. A thing or two, and, well, that's it. Yeah, but uh, uh, some of the things came a bit 
twisty. Uh, you, you saw that fish at first. Uh, yeah, wrong sort of bowl and, and wrong sort of fish. And I thought I'd ask someone. Uh, a proper course, said Mr. Maiding. A very proper course, altogether the proper course. He stopped and looked at Mr. Fotheringay. It's practically an unlimited gift. Uh, let us test your powers. For instance, if they really are, if they really are all they seem to be. If the wizard is a wizard, who will serve? Mm, time for a break. Alan, been thinking about asking our listeners, popping them the big question. Okay. It's it's not an easy one. I think now is the time for us to both get on our knees and look deep, deep into our listeners' ears and what and ask them sincerely and with conviction, will you rate and review us on iTunes? Okay, we're on our knees. Where are their ears? <laughs> They're gonna have to bend down too. Everyone get on your knees. Okay, wait a minute. I don't think we want to ask our <laughs> listeners to do that. You know what? I think we do want to ask them to do. What? Is to please go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. If you like what we do, help us out. It's free for you. It's a great thing for us. Rob, can you say anything else without making inappropriate requests from our audience? You can rate and review us on any of the other services too. Google Play. They're awesome. Whether you do it on your knees or not, I leave it up to you. That's your business. Thank you, folks. We appreciate it. The clergyman calls for more miracles. And Rob calls for more vodka. And so incredible as it may seem, in the study of the little house behind the Congregational Chapel on the evening of Sunday, November 10th, 1896, Mr. Fotheringay, egged on and inspired by Mr. Maydig, began to work miracles. Less miracles, more counterfeiting of small, non-sequential pound notes. The reader's attention is specially indefinitely called to the date. Warren G.'s birthday? That's right, he's got to regulate, Rob. <laughs> On every November 10th, he does. He will object, probably has objected, that certain points in the story are improbable, that if any things of this sort already described had indeed occurred, they would have been in all the papers at that time. Well, it was in the Weekly World News, but it was right after a story about Bat Boy, so nobody really noticed. He grabs those headlines, doesn't let go. What a Bat Boy. <laughs> the details immediately following... He will find particularly hard to accept, because among other things, they involve the conclusion that he or she, the reader in question, must have been killed in a violent and unprecedented manner more than a year ago. Wait, are, are we dead, Alan? I guess so. That's disappointing. Yeah, really Okay. Is. All right, yeah. readers, listeners, people out there on the internet, uh... Time to face it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't want to break it to you. Hey, I didn't want it broken to me either. But <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough, uh, tough all over, folks. Yeah. 
It's tough, tough all over. Now, a miracle is nothing if not improbable. And as a matter of fact, the reader was killed in a violent and unprecedented manner in 1896. Oh my God, we are dead. This is all a simulation. Take the red pill, Alan. The red pill. Finally, I knew I was Neo. Fuck you people. I'm Neo. <laughs> in the subsequent course of the story that will become perfectly clear and credible, as every right-minded and reasonable reader will admit. But this is not the place for the end of the story, being but little beyond the hither side of the middle. Oh, really? We're just a little, we're just a little beyond the hither side? It's, it's, it's a little... It's a little down the hither side. Okay, let's hope it's a steep slope. And at first, the miracles worked by Mr. Fotheringay were timid little miracles, little things with the cups and parlor fitments, as feeble as the miracles of theosophists. And feeble as they were, they were received with awe by his collaborator. But to make it clear once again, his collaborator was very, very stupid. Yeah. He would have preferred to settle the winch business out of hand, but Mr. Maydig would not let him. But after they had worked a dozen of these domestic trivialities, their sense of power grew, their imagination began to show signs of stimulation, and their ambition enlarged. And that's when this turned into a penthouse forum letter. Okay, what's the penthouse forum letter? Dear penthouse forum... I'm an impotent Englishman who... Wait, no, no. I'm an omnipotent Englishman. Oh, damn it, I ruined the whole thing. There, yeah. Their first larger enterprise was due to hunger and negligence of Mrs. Minchin, Mr. Maydig's housekeeper. The meal to which the minister conducted Mr. Fotheringay was certainly ill-laid and uninviting as refreshment for two industrious miracle workers. But they were seated, and Mr. Maydig was descanting in sorrow, rather than in anger, upon his housekeeper's shortcomings, before it occurred to Mr. Fotheringay that an opportunity lay before him. So he willed the domino zap into existence, and he ordered them up a couple of pies and a giant cookie. That's about the limit of his imagination. <laughs> dominoes. <laughs> dominoes and a cookie. <laughs> Don't you think, Mr. Maydig, he said, if it isn't a liberty, I... Oh, dear Mr. Fotheringay, of course, no, no, I don't think. The most honest statement in this whole story. Chapter 7. A Miraculous Meal and Many Reforms. Is this referring to the Reform Act of 1832 or 1867? Uh, this is important. I need to know if I can vote yet. I would not get any seagull eggs, okay? <laughs> Just You want to consult a lawyer before you do that, Rob. Good call. Mr. Fotheringay waved his hand. Uh, wh what should we have? Fish, plankton, sea greens, and proteins from the sea. He said it in a large, inclusive spirit. And at Mr. Maydig's order, revised the supper very thoughtfully. As for me, he said, eyeing Mr. Maydig's selection, I am always particularly fond of a tankard of stout and a nice Welsh rabbit. And I'll order that. I ain't much given to burgundy, and forthwith stout and Welsh rabbit promptly appeared at his command. They sat long at the supper, talking like equals, as Mr. Fotheringay presently perceived, with a glow of surprising gratification, of all the miracles they would presently do. And by the by, Mr. Maydick, said Mr. Fotheringay, 
I might perhaps be able to help you in a domestic way. Let's just say either those drapes go or I do. That's rough. They're ugly drapes. Rough ultimatum. <laughs> just trying to help pretty the place up. Well, he didn't ask for your opinion about the drapes. <laughs> hey, hey, you're just there to do miracles, okay? <laughs> no, all right? Know your place. Don't be all judgy judgy, all right? Okay, that doesn't make you an interior designer. <laughs> uh, don't quite follow, said Mr. Maydig, pouring out a glass of miraculous old burgundy. Mr. Fotheringay helped himself to a second Welsh rabbit out of vacancy and took a mouthful. I was thinking, he said, I might be able to chum-chum. In the criminal justice system. To work, chum-chum. <laughs> the people are represented by two separate but equally important groups. A miracle with Mrs. Minchin, chum-chum. Ice tea and the dad from Dirty Dancing. Make her a better woman. Mr. Maydig put down the glass and looked doubtful. She's, she's strongly objects to interference, you know, Mr. Fothergate. It's a matter of fact. It's, a, it's well past eleven, and uh, she's probably in bed and asleep. Do you think, on the whole, Mr. Fotheringay considered these objections? I don't see that it shouldn't be done in a sleep. For a time, Mr. Maydig opposed the idea, and then he yielded. Mr. Fotheringay issued his orders, and a little less at their ease, perhaps, the two gentlemen proceeded with the repast. Guilt can't be miracled away, guys. I'm pretty sure it can be. <laughs> we haven't heard about that constable in a while. <laughs> Mr. Maydig wasn't enlarging on the changes he might expect in his housekeeper next day with an optimism that seemed, even to Mr. Fotheringay's supper sense, a little forced and hectic, when a series of confused noises from upstairs began. Their eyes exchanged interrogations, and Mr. Maydig left the room hastily. Those darn squirrels! Uh, Rob, would you like to give our reader some knowledge of where they might find out more about that joke? <laughs> you might want to go to your local library and uh, find a book called Those Darn Squirrels. It's delightful, and you'll learn a little bit about why you should love squirrels. They're awesome. Uh, is that a Caldecott Award winner, Rob? Or, uh... It's Caldecott adjacent. Um, <laughs> I think it... Uh... <laughs> it was a runner-up. It was up there. In a minute or so, the minister returned, his step light, his face radiant. Wonderful, he said, and touching, most touching. Uh, there better not be any touching, or this story is going to be over. Oh, no, not touching. Did I say touching? I didn't mean touching. He began pacing the hearthrug. Repentance, at most touching repentance, through the crack of the door. Oh, poor woman, a most wonderful change. She had got up. Uh, she must have got up at once. She had got up out of her sleep to smash a private bottle of brandy in her box. <laughs> okay, I'm... Uh... That slang of the time, don't read too much into it. <laughs> yep. And to confess it to, but this gives us, it, it, it opens up a most amazing vista of possibilities if we can work this miraculous change in her. 
The thing's unlimited, seemingly, said Mr. Fotheringay. Uh, and about Mr. Winch. Yes, uh, about Mr. Winch. They're altogether unlimited. <sighs> and from the hearthrug, Mr. Maydig, waving the Winch difficulty aside, unfolded a series of wonderful proposals. And once again, his gentle nature is exposed. Uh, Winch who again, my old man? Now, what do, uh, I'm sorry, what were we doing with the, um, the finches? I uh, couldn't, couldn't, you know, this, this ear, this damn ear of mine. Uh, proposals he invented as he went along. Now, what those proposals were does not concern the essentials of the story, but I'll dedicate five or six pages to it nonetheless. And I'll tell you, they were indecent proposals, I'll say that much. Which means they weren't very good, but people are still referencing them almost 30 years later. I bet he really wants that million dollars back now, I right? I think so. I would think so, yes. Right. I mean, now that you're 30 years older, I yeah, mean... it's gone. Long yeah. gone. It's gone. Suffice it that they were designed in the spirit of infinite benevolence. The sort of benevolence that used to be called postprandial. Wait, suppose Prandial, the uh, the benevolence of the time after dinner or lunch? So the, the slightly full benevolence where you really don't feel like doing anything else the rest of the day except play Witcher 3? Yeah. Well, I could nap or I could uh, have sex with a sorceress on a stuffed <laughs> unicorn. It's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Suffice it, too, that the problem of Winch remained unsolved. Ah, <sighs> Typical. Nor is it necessary to describe how far that series got to its fulfillment. There were astonishing changes. The small hours found Mr. Maydig and Mr. Fotheringay careering across the chilly market square under the still moon in a sort of ecstasy of thaumaturgy. Mr. Maydig all flap and gesture, Mr. Fotheringay short and bristling and no longer abashed at his greatness. They had reformed every drunkard in the parliamentary division. Changed all the beer and alcohol to water. Uh, Mr. Maydig had overruled Mr. Fotheringay on this point. They had further greatly improved the railroad communication of the place, drained Flinder Swamp, improved the soil of One Tree Hill, and cured the vicar's wart. Wait, wait, those are all noble deeds, but let's go back and, uh, can you tell me how the soil affected Peyton and Haley? Chad Michael Vincent? No, Chad, <laughs> Chad Michael Chad Michael Vincent. Chad Michael Murray Vincent. Chad Michael Murray Vincent Price. And they were going to see what could be done with the injured pier at Southbridge. The place, gasped Mr. Maydig, won't be the same tomorrow. How surprised and thankful everyone will be. And just at that moment, the church clock struck three. Chapter 8. The Rotation of the Earth Stopped. Henceforth known as the day the earth stops stupid. I say, said Mr. Fotheringay, that's three o'clock. I, I must be getting back. I've got to be at business by eight. And besides Mrs. Wims, I mean, we're only beginning, said Mr. Maydig, full of the sweetness of unlimited power. Uh, a little known fact, the sweetness of unlimited power was Monster Energy Drink's original slogan. Well, it's a, you know, it's still better than Red Bull's original slogan. Red Bull, it gives you cancer. <laughs> we're only beginning, think of all the good we're doing when people wake, but 
said Mr. Fotheringay. Mr. Maydig grabbed his arm suddenly. His eyes were bright and wild. My dear chap, he said, there's no hurry, look. He pointed to the moon at the zenith. Joshua. Yes, my nephew Joshua. He's very good at mooning people. It looks just like that. <laughs> just like that. Joshua, said Mr. Maydig. Why not? Stop it. Mr. Fotheringay looked at the moon. And, just like Joshua, asked God to stop it so he could kill a whole crap ton of people. This is certainly the man to be emulating right now. That's a bit tall, he said after a pause. Well, well, actually, it just looks taller because of the slight refraction caused by the Earth's atmosphere. No, look, it's bigger. Don't, don't egghead me on this. I can tell it's bigger. <laughs> well, no, that's just because of the tree line makes it look appear bigger. No, it's and... bigger. <laughs> Why not, said Mr. Maydig. Of course, it doesn't stop. You stop the rotation of the Earth, you know. Time stops. Ah, I see they're using Superman the movie level of physics. Isn't as if we were doing harm. Uh, patently untrue. <laughs> it isn't as if I was lying and uh, just keeping your attention away from that whole winch dealy do. <laughs> mm, said Mr. Fathering. Well, he sighed. I'll try. Here. He buttoned up his jacket and addressed himself to the habitable globe, with as good an assumption of confidence as lay in his power. Just stop rotating, will you? said Mr. Fotheringay. You know, I said the same thing to that woman at Dim Sum, who kept moving around the table and kept moving the pork buns away from me, but damn it, she didn't listen, and then they were gone, and they didn't bring out any more pork buns, and instead I had to eat like five egg tarts, and don't get me wrong, Alan, I like egg tarts, but I really wanted okay. something savory, and wait, wait, is it, is it lunchtime yet? I don't, I, we're at dim sum right now, Rob. Oh my god. Yeah. And we're dead. Oh, this is that's, a crazy day. That's the afterlife for you. This is crazy. Just one long dim sum. Mm. Incontinently, he was flying head over heels through the air at the rate of dozens of miles a minute. Stop the earth and your head over heels. You're not too smart. You're just head over heels. In spite of the innumerable circles he was describing per second, he thought. For thought is wonderful, sometimes as sluggish as flowing pitch, sometimes as instantaneous as light. And sometimes as chewy and filled with nougat as a Three Musketeers bar. Ugh, it's sometimes thrown out at the end <laughs> oh. of the Halloween bag because oh. it's so bad. This is finally what brings the podcast down. We have a divide here, sir. Disgusting. Delightful. He thought in a second and willed. Let me come down safe and sound. Whatever else happens, let me down safe and sound. <laughs> Mr. Fotheringay starts a terrific storm. Or shit gets real. I do love the, the chapter with an oar in it. Mm -hmm. He willed it only just in time, for his clothes, heated by his rapid flight through the air, was already beginning to singe. See, his pants are literally catching on fire for what he's done to poor Mr. Winch. Or he was just going to visit Mr. Winch in Hades. <laughs> Turns out it's San Francisco is located 
in Hades. I did not remember that. He came down with a forcible but by no means injurious bump in what appeared to be a mound of fresh-turned earth. It appeared that way at first, but he'd actually fallen into the back of a manure truck, Biff-style. <laughs> a large mass of metal and masonry, extraordinarily like the clock tower in the middle of the market square, hit the earth near him, ricocheted over him, and flew into stonework, bricks, and cement like a bursting bomb. Whoa, this is getting to be Michael Bay level of mayhem here. If a giant robot and Harriet Tubman come out to rescue father and gay, I may actually be impressed. It's, it's too busy. It's everything's so bright and they, they move so fast. I can't, I can't make out one stonework from a brick, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just too much. A hurtling cow hit one of the larger blocks and smashed like an egg. On the one hand, ew. On the other hand, gross. I'm with both hands. Yeah. There was a crash that made all the most violent crashes of his past seem like the sound of falling dust. And this was followed by a descending series of lesser crashes. A vast wind roared throughout earth and heaven, so that he could scarcely lift his head to look. For a while he was too breathless and astonished even to see where he was, or what had happened, and this movement was to feel his head and reassure himself that his streaming hair was still his own. Alas, it wasn't. A different cow had landed on his head. <laughs> Lord, grasped Mr. Fotheringay, scarce able to speak for the gale. I've had a squeak. What's gone wrong? Oh, this is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a squeak. Um, not with a bangers and mash, but a bubbles and squeak. <laughs> yes. Nice. Landed it. Storms and thunder. And only a minute ago, a fine night. It's made to set me on to this sort of thing. What a wind. If I go on fooling in this way, I'm bound to have a thundering accident. Oh, Alan, uh, give me a thundering accident. Pull my finger. Hmm. Huh? No. Hmm. Where's Maydig? I believe he's sticking over there next to that tree. And over there next to those bricks. Let's just say he's all over the place. Oh. Yeah, he, sh he shattered. What a confounded mess everything's in. He looked about him so far as his flapping jacket would permit. The appearance of things was really extremely strange. Sky's all right, anyhow. Oh, well, mission accomplished. You didn't completely destroy the sky. Who wants to start the slow clap? I'll, um, I'll get to it later. And that's about all that's right. And even there, a terrific gale coming up. And even there, it looks like a terrific gale coming up. And even there's the moon overhead, just as it was just now. Bright as midday, but for the rest, where's the village? Where's, where's anything? Oh, oh, it's all there, just many, many miles away from where it should be. And what on earth set this wind a-blowing? I didn't order no wind. I should have ordered the V8. Also, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Chapter 9. A Strenuous Life Mr. Fotheringay struggled to get to his feet in vain and after one failure, remained on all fours, holding on. He surveyed the moonlit world to leeward, 
with the tails of his jacket streaming over his head. There's something seriously wrong, said Mr. Featheringay, and what it is, goodness knows. Seriously, can't he will himself smarter? Wouldn't that be stop one on the Miracle Express? He'll get to it. He'll get to it. He just <laughs> needs a crazy guy to take advantage of him and, and tell him to do it. Far and wide, nothing was visible in the white glare through the haze of dust that drove before a streaming gale but tumbled masses of earth in heaps of inchoate ruins. No trees, no houses, no familiar shapes. No phone, no lights, no motor car, not a single luxury. Mm -hmm. Only a wilderness of disorder, vanishing at last into the darkness beneath the whirling streams and columns the lightnings and thunderings of a swiftly rising storm. Perhaps the storm includes one of those riders I've heard so much about? I don't know, Dr. Evil, I don't... <laughs> Near him, in the livid glare, was something that might have been once an elm tree. A smashed mass of splinters shivered from bows to base, and further a twisted mass of iron girders, only too evidently the viaduct, rose out of the piled confusion. As if, with its dying breath, the viaduct was flipping him the bird. Uh, viaducts are known to do that by people very familiar with what viaducts are. <laughs> you see, when Mr. Featheringay had arrested the rotation of the I do know what a viaduct is, thank you. Um, we all do. Okay. Our readers you, are very smart. Our you see, when Mr. Fotheringay can't have the internet not think that I know what a viaduct is. <laughs> Time to go argue on Twitter. <laughs> Get to the subreddit. You see, when Mr. Fotheringay had arrested the rotation of the solid globe for no good reason that I can fucking figure out, he had made no stipulation concerning the trifling movables upon its surface. Well, no shit story. And the Earth spins so fast that the surface at its equator is traveling at rather more than a thousand miles an hour, and in these latitudes at more than half that pace. Hey, hey, hey. Things just aren't going to go that fast with that kind of latitude, mister. Mm. Wordplay! <laughs> Chapter 29. Wordplay. Or was it just a really bad pun? <laughs> Wait a minute. Chapter 30. Isn't that what puns are? Chapter 31. Let's move on. <laughs> so that the village and Mr. Maydig and Mr. Fotheringay and everybody and everything had been jerked violently forward at about nine miles per second, that is to say, much more violently than if they had been fired out of a cannon. And also without a single trampoline held by clowns waiting for them. And every human being, every living creature, every house and every tree, all the world as we know it, had been so jerked... had been so jerked and smashed and utterly destroyed that was all well at least he has all the time in the world to catch up on his favorite books and wait oh wait he's an idiot oh well he's screwed the paper's everywhere rob <laughs> i guess he could just will yeah he could his, just will his books. broken glasses back together if no. <laughs> true getting rid of the power of performing miracles 
The Lance Armstrong story. <laughs> I think that would be angry lies <laughs> of the power of performing miracles. I think it'd be, how dare you accuse me of not performing miracles? <laughs> These things Mr. Fotheringay did not, of course, fully appreciate. But he perceived that his miracle had miscarried, and with that great disgust of miracles came upon him. I don't even like wine that much. I'll take the water instead. He was in darkness now, for the clouds had swept together and blotted out his momentary glimpse of the moon, and the air was full of fitful, struggling, tortured wraiths of hail. A great roaring of wind and waters filled earth and sky, and peering under his hand through the dust and sleep to windward, he saw by the play of the lightnings a vast wall of water pouring towards him. Just like Interstellar. And he figures it out way later than any person should have. Just like Interstellar. And two hours of my life are gone. Just like Interstellar. Maydig, screamed Mr. Fotheringay's feeble voice amid the elemental uproar. Here, Maydig. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm too busy being really, really dead right now. Stop, cried Mr. Fotheringay to the advancing water. Oh, for goodness sake, stop. Just a moment, said Mr. Fotheringay to the lightnings and thunder. Stop just a moment while I collect my thoughts. And now what shall I do, he said. What shall I do? Lord, I wish Maydig was about. He is about. He's literally all about you. Yeah, he's all about that. I know, said Mr. Fotheringay, and for goodness sake, let's have it right this time. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. It's really important when you're praying that you don't let God get away with any kind of literal interpretation of your prayer, okay? You got to be very careful yeah. how you phrase it. It's... And you never, never pray for more prayers. Nope, no, it won't work. Nope. It won't work at all. He remained on all fours, leaning against the wind, very intent to have everything right. Ah, he said, let nothing what I'm going to order happen until I say, off! Lord, I wish I'd thought of that before. He lifted his little voice against the whirlwind, shouting louder and louder in the vain desire to hear himself speak. Now then, here goes! Mind about what I just said now. Now, yes, please make sure to provide the proper reminders to the universe before invoking Baxi's Keepsies. Okay, now, you just, you put it on a post-it note, Galaxy, okay? <laughs> In the first place, when I've got all to say is done, let me lose my miraculous power. Let my will become just like anybody else's will, and all these dangerous miracles be stopped. I don't like them. I'd rather I didn't work them ever so much. Mary Poppins. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke's got nothing on mine. <laughs> That's the first thing. And the second is, let me be back just before the miracles begin. Let everything be just as it was before that blessed lamp turned up. It's a big job, but it's the last. Have you got it? No more miracles. Everything just as it was. Me back in the long dragon just before I drank my half pint. That's it. 
Yes. Please make it back to when I was just dumb as a bag of spanners, not dumb as a bag of spanners with all the powers over the laws of physics. He dug his fingers into the mold, closed his eyes, and said, Off! Everything became perfectly still. He perceived that he was standing erect. Oh, come <laughs> I, on. I guess one more wish came true. <laughs> can, can you really? Come on. He had to know. Uh, nope. He's got all these stories about seeing the future. He had to see a future where that is not how you can end a chapter. <laughs> oh, you're no H.G. Wells, my friend. Chapter 10. Back in the Long Dragon. Wait, this is where I always get confused. Are you back in, in the Long Dragon if you're drinking again? Or are you back out of the Long Dragon? You don't back out of the Long Dragon, Rob. <laughs> so you say, said a voice. He opened his eyes. He was in the bar of the Long Dragon, arguing about miracles with Toddy Beamish. Surrounded by cyclists and right-side-up candles. And how about that portly waitress? Remember, she's portly. <laughs> Don't forget that. Really important. Super important to the story. Yep. Really nice lady, but hey, I want to tell you, she's portly. He had a vague sense of some great thing forgotten that instantaneously passed. You see that, except for the loss of his miraculous powers, everything was back as it had been. His mind and memory, therefore, were now just as they had been at the time when the story began so that he knew absolutely nothing of all that is told here. Knows nothing of all that is told here to this day. There was no monster. Astronaut Frank Douglas rescued, alive, well, and of normal size, some 8,000 miles away in a lifeboat, with no memory of where he has been or how he was separated from his capsule. And among other things, of course... He still did not believe in miracles. But he does want to know where you're from, you sexy thing. No one said anything to me about the full miracle. <laughs> I tell you that miracles, properly speaking, can't possibly happen, he said. And whatever you like to hold. And I'm prepared to prove it up to the hilt. That's what you think, said Tommy Beamish. And prove it if you can. Looky here, Mr. Beamish, said Mr. Fotheringay. Let us clearly understand what a miracle is. It's not something contrarywise to the course of nature done by the power of will. Arnett. Wait, this story is starting over? Oh, I've just I've just made a huge mistake. The end. <laughs> Well, that is the end to the story. The man who could work miracles. Or was it the end? Because we're all dead. That's right. We have been dead since 1896. It's been a long road getting from there to here, Rob. <laughs> is it sad <clears throat> that I thought of the exact same thing? <laughs> no, we, we both know who the first engineer of the Enterprise D was. So <laughs> I don't think that's strange at all. And what would you say the moral of this story was, Rob? Well, if I've learned anything from this story in many, many Twilight Zones, is never give the power of omnipotence to children or idiots. How about you? 
Well, I would say I don't care. <laughs> Not one little bit. There's no moral, nothing you can take away from this story. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> well, that's all for today. Tune in next time for another exciting Interrupted. And I will not have you once again tell me that I don't know anything about whales. Look, The Alarm are the Irish U2. They've got some great albums. They've got The Stand. They've got Raw. They've got Eye of the Hurricane. I just, I will not stand for you thinking I don't know anything about whales, Alan. Tales. Tales.